Welcome to episode number two of our Breaking Badness mini-series, Stronger Together. We hope you had a chance to check out last week's episode of our conversation with Alan Liska. This week, we're going to be hearing from some more researchers, security analysts, and C-suites as we continue to focus on RSA's 2023 theme, Stronger Together. We cover a lot of ground in these interviews, but the theme we keep coming back to is how can we take our individual specialities and come together to give bad actors more bad days? The Stronger Together mini-series by Breaking Badness is next. We're going to be speaking with Jamie Williams, who is a principal adversary emulation engineer at MITRE ATT&CK. That is a mouthful to say. I was really excited to get to talk to Jamie as we previously connected over Twitter regarding strengthening cybersecurity in neurodiversity, which was a blog post and podcast episode we shared a few weeks ago. So it's great we could discuss more on that. We also talk about his thoughts on AI, Twitter, and the cybersecurity community, and we'll learn just a little bit more about wine. Just as a disclaimer, my sound at the beginning of this interview is a bit echoey, but it does not last for long. Uh, being on a busy show floor means that my mic picked up some more reverb than we'd like, but again, just stick with me. It's a great conversation, and that echo does not last for long. Thanks for your patience. I am here at RSA with Jamie Williams from MITRE Tech. Jamie, welcome. Thanks for having me. So um, so we connected over Twitter um, specifically about the uh, neurodiversity content that we've been um, sharing because it's Autism Acceptance Month. And I was just wondering, you know, if you wanted to talk about, you know, what your thoughts on autism in cybersecurity are, like, you know, how is it getting better or, you know, are there strides that need to be made, just anything about that. I think what Ian and Travis released was really powerful, and I love the narrative because it was that self-reflection. Like, it really starts with yourself, and like, even if you're already diagnosed or you're not sure, like, we're all different and we're all unique. So, like, whether these labels are really important and they help us kind of categorize things, understand things, but at the same time, it's really important to kind of know yourself and really understand, like, exactly as the blog talked about, like, what are you good at? And what are maybe some of your gaps or maybe weaknesses? But then again, extending, once you kind of, you know, look in the mirror enough and really understand yourself, looking around and also recognizing that, like, it's not you against the world. Yeah. It's it's a team. And, like, I love the way, the like, the blog talked about, like, almost thinking about each other as, like, puzzle pieces. Yeah. Where, like, how do we fit and work together where maybe your strengths align with some of weaknesses? Maybe you have strength on strength. And there's, like, when you put those together, it maybe forms a little bit different. But it really kind of, all of that is only possible if you start to ask those questions and think and really like, rather than just like, you know, going day to day and eventually getting burned out, really start to understand like, why am I, like, why do I do things the way that I do? And like, how can that potentially be better for both myself as well as other people? Yeah, absolutely. And do, do you identify as neurodiverse? I, I'm not sure. I think I'm kind of like, I, that's what I loved about the blog because I kind of like resonated with that. Yeah. Where, I think it's also like relative towards who you're measuring against. To my knowledge, I'm not being diagnosed with anything. Yeah. But like, as I was reading the blog, I'm like, I have like tendencies where I'm really bad at like stopping. Yeah. Like I was like, I get hung up on something and I'll work and I'm like, yeah. I don't care what time it is. I don't care what else is going on. Like, I'm going to finish this. 
I'm really good at context switching, which I'm like, I don't know if that's like a thing or not. Like maybe there's not, maybe there's a medical term for that. Maybe there's not. So in a way, I guess I'm saying like, I think we're all kind of in that space. I haven't found my exact labels, but I think I'm not necessarily going to say like, again, it's like not something I'm, you know, that's not me or that's not a problem I or an opportunity that I deal with. So no, I, I guess a long way of saying yes. I, yeah. I to- totally, I, I totally relate to that because, and Travis and Ian talk about it. I don't know how much they touch on it in the blog, but they did a podcast episode too where there's, you know, they say, uh, you don't have to have a formal diagnosis to identify within the neurodiverse community. Like, if you feel like you are, you are. Like, that is, that yeah. is close, which I think is a really nice, inclusive message to have because, you know, again, like, I, I relate to what you were saying where you're just like, well, reading stuff I'm like uh, I have some tendencies yeah what does that mean for me yeah, yeah so totally um, I also I really feel like I jumped the gun and I would love for you to introduce yourself <laughs> I just got really excited I'm like, uh, we know each other from Twitter <laughs> yeah, that's, that's how all great conversations so, start yeah. yeah so so um so what do you do with miter attack uh, I lead technique development for the enterprise framework so it's a lot of it is really reading and understanding like what adversaries are doing and then putting that into like a systematic structure so that we can talk about it, but also like basically Rosetta Stone point to the same thing. Okay. So it's really interesting because to your point, we have like a pretty open project where it's like a lot of like unstructured data that we're trying to put like structure to and a lot of different people from different backgrounds doing it. So like, that's why this whole like concept really resonated with me even more because I'm like, the way I would do something is very different than like a lot of the team but together, like, you know, in the spirit of common language, it only makes sense if we agree on something. So this is yeah. something that we deal with, like, moment to moment, day to day, week to week, is, like, how do I get a bunch of people that see the same exact thing in a million different ways to agree on anything? He said, whether or not it's something that you address, it's something that we have to deal with. So I guess, like I said, I appreciate, you know, them taking the time to write that down and start, start these conversations so that we can kind of slowly, as a community, like, you know, like I said, I don't know if I have those labels yet, but... You know, I wouldn't, until we ask those questions, those answers won't be provided. Absolutely. What a, what a great way to put that. So do you feel like, you know, reading through, like, Ian and Travis's blog, like, did it give you, like, any thoughts of, you know, how you could take that back to MITRE ATT&CK, you know, for that specific project? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's something that we really take to heart is when we publish something, recognizing the diversity of the audience to reading it where you don't need like a PhD in cyber or you don't need some background in a particular element or a certain way like it's too long it's too short we really try to make sure that it's something that there's a baseline of like yeah. this is something that we're publishing for everyone yeah. so and if again if there ever if there's ever feedback on you know some of that is like language is a little bit too academic or you know it's maybe a little bit too long and it's hard to digest um, that's something that we're always kind of seeking, but also like measuring against ourselves where internally we kind of like bounce around and we're like, okay, like I spent three weeks researching something. I could talk about it all day. How do I describe it in three minutes or less? Because people don't have time or, you know, yeah. attention span, whatever, whatever, whatever the case is. So, yeah, I think that's something that, you know, especially when we talk about like sharing knowledge, it's really important to always like be mindful of you don't know what the other side and how they think so just making sure you're still making those connections through whether it's printed audio whatever the media is absolutely and um, 
really excited to just to pivot just a little bit. I'm excited that we met on Twitter. What are what are your thoughts on you know the Twitter versus Mastodon right now? Are you on Mastodon? I am not on Mastodon. Um, I have been keeping track with like that and Blue Sky. I think, like you said, Twitter is obviously like pretty toxic environment. But that said, it's really hard to give up because it's just like the community. Yeah. So like obviously in a perfect world, I think we'll find a better alternative. But I'm kind of going wherever the community goes. So whenever like wherever people are talking and engaging and being part of that like you know rich kind of experience, I will be shortly behind that. Okay. Do you have some time for some general RSA questions? I don't want to take up too much. Oh, yeah, go for it. Yeah. So is this your first RSA? Oh, unfortunately not. This is like my fourth or fifth. I lost track. Yeah. Okay. So I've been talking to a few people today where like the number is fourth or fifth. Yeah. Yeah. So this is my fourth or fifth RSA. So how, like, how would you say this compares to other RSAs you've been to? That's interesting because I, most of my RSA experience has been like before or during the pandemic. So this is starting to look more like before, but... I think one of the interesting themes is like we're getting a, the questions we're asking and the questions we're answering is a lot more nuanced. Okay. Where like before I felt like it was a lot of like you need this thing, this is the product that you've never seen before and it's going to save the world. Where I think we've kind of like starting to broken down some of those barriers and you're able to have like more direct, immediate, rich conversations of like who are you? What are you doing? How can this help me? How can it not help me? How can we partner? So I think at least in my very like limited 12 plus hour experience so far it's been like much more easy to like cut through and get to those like direct conversations which that's, has been that's really i guess the cool. point yeah that's yeah. great it kind of lives up to the the show's lo- not logo tagline this year i think it's like stronger together that sounds right yeah yeah oh yeah. my gosh okay perfect so um what are you most excited about for this conference it's always nice to see people Especially, meet new people. Yeah. <laughs> that and, like, meet new people, but also, like, people that, like, you know from Twitter. You're yeah. like, oh, I know that person for their handle, like, and actually yeah. seeing, like, the person behind the thoughts. And you're like, oh, I actually get to appreciate more rounded, like, yeah. image and, like, associate that going forward. I'm like, now I, like, you know what this person looks like. And, like, yeah. as I read their awesome content or argue with them or, you know, go back and forth about sports or whatever it is, I can actually like, relate that to something. Mm-hmm. That's always good. And then selfishly, we always pair RSA with like a trip out to Napa because like, why not? I already got a free flight. So like, oh. yeah, 30 minute drive. So got to sneak wine in there. What's your favorite wine? Ooh, that's tough. I'm a big fan of like Grecian grapes. Okay. So like, it's very different than California, but I love those like funky kind of like once in a lifetime you, Greek grapes. Are you like kind of like a wine aficionado? I guess unofficially. Cool. Yeah. It's, it's something, it's a pandemic hobby that, like, started to grow into, like, I'm obviously not, like, a professional, like, grape grower. Yeah. <laughs> I've taken some classes just to, like... But oh, that's cool. Yeah. And it's always, I mean, again, I think it's good to have something you can, like, fascinate over that isn't cyber or infrastructure yeah. security. That's so it's true. good to be able to, like, nerd out, like, somewhere else. Yeah. What, what else do you like to nerd out over? Sports. Yeah. Very sports? Baseball and football. Okay. Yeah. I'm a basketball girl, Ooh. so... Yeah. What what team? Cavs. Ooh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm from Cleveland. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. Yeah, we're learning about each other. Yeah. One, one one conversation I at a time. Yeah. I know. I'm well. I'm excited because this is my first RSA. Yeah. And it was just re- really exciting for me to be able to try to connect with people beforehand and try to meet people in person. So this. And is you're crushing great. it. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I saw your list of like interviews already. This is like yeah. You don't have to say yeah. that. You're doing a lot of rounds for, like, first time, yeah. I'm I'm doing my best, but thank you very much. So, I don't know how quickly we can do it, but, like, 
what's something in the industry right now that you're really excited about or something that concerns you? And you can answer no. one or the other or both. I think you collided into the same answer. It's like the pendulum swings. We always have these like really good ideas that have like a lot of artificial intelligence, like very broad concept. I think over time we kind of, as we like really harp on subjects like that, we eventually figure out like where the right buckets are. But I think like the other side of that pendulum is like very often we have to just reflect on like understanding the same problems we've been talking about for decades and like reassessing those to add more nuance, to add more color, to add more understanding. Yeah. That's kind of where I am like much more fascinated is like, it's scary because you're like, you could list like, you know, cyber hygiene. What are the top five things every like, you know, defender should do? That list really isn't changing. It's just like, we're getting better answers for that. And I think that's where like, it's exciting, but also kind of terrifying of like understanding ourselves like more and more. Cause it's kind of like you said, these aren't problems that we're going to solve versus understand a little better so like it's almost like opening more doors that you don't have answers to but it's still exciting because we're like yeah. at least that door is open and we know the next kind of milestone and whether it's ai or the next thing like we're getting more and more tools to help us advance confidently into that next kind of chapter so do you think you know based on that like opening doors we don't really know what's behind are you, are you more excited about ai or is it something to be feared it depends on the application and, and obviously every tool could be like good or bad depending on who's holding it so I think it's something where we kind of have to be responsible and like again you know I'm not gonna you know we're a resource organization I think people try whatever makes sense like if you see an application go for it but I think we need to also kind of have that leash and be able to wield it back of like okay maybe this didn't make sense this was a really cool idea and so like I said it's kind of like a apprehensive wary excitement of like this is we could be really cool but we also need to be like good shepherds of everything we're doing because we don't want to just there's that bubble of like people who like really really are like in the weeds and we got to recognize that every not everyone's in that cybersecurity kind of like mindset so again we need to be good community members of like we can't put out a bunch of things that might not have the effect and people can't manage and operate by themselves so again it's kind of that trade-off of like we need to take one step at a time and make sure we're kind of measuring where we want to be, where we are, and kind of what that end state is. Okay, excellent. Well, Jamie, thank you so much for your time today. Is there anything from MITRE that you want to plug before we end today? No. No? Oh, yeah, okay. MITRE, yeah, go MITRE. Okay, if, uh, <laughs> obviously people can find you on Twitter. No. Uh, can I share that in our show notes, your, your handle? If people Absolutely. Want to reach out to yeah. Well, it was so nice to meet you Likewise. in person. I'm very excited for this. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Bye. Next up, we're speaking with John DiMaggio. Shout out to Alan Liska for making the introduction between us. This was a fascinating discussion on John's background as a threat researcher, specifically focused on ransomware currently. We'll talk about his experience with the Lockbit ransomware gang, what he's currently passionate about in the industry, and conversely, what he finds concerning, and we'll walk through a day in the life of a threat researcher. We are talking with John DiMaggio from Analyst One. John, thank you for being on the Breaking Badness podcast. Thank you for having me. Can you talk a little bit about what you do and yeah. a little bit about Analyst One? Sure, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I'm a threat researcher at Analyst One. My official okay. title is something more fancy, but that's really what I am as a threat researcher. Okay. I head up our, our, our threat intel team at Analyst One, uh, and I do research myself. 
Uh, I specialize in nation state attacks and, and lately, mainly, all my time is consumed by ransomware. Oh my gosh. Uh, so, you know, spending time on the dark web, uh, trying to get intel, laying on that on top of threat data and piecing together bigger stories and writing about it, talking about it, and sort of being the face of the brand for the company. That's that's sort of my role, uh, or that's what I do at, at Analyst One. And so when you say face of the company, are, yep. you, are you worried at all about like retaliation? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, so I put my name on everything. Uh, matter of fact, uh, my last report, uh, Lockbit, one of the ransomware gangs in the dark web, after I put it out, they changed their profile image to my face. They took my, my headshot off of my LinkedIn account and they put it on there. Uh, and they send me direct messages a lot. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely something that I worry about, but it also goes with part of the job. You know, it's not just analyst one, it's also my own, my self brand. Like, so yeah. I've been putting my name on things for years, uh, getting myself out there. I've written some books and stuff like that. So this, I'm too, it's too late. I'm too far in, into the, the water at this point Where's, to decide to turn back around. Ooh. So <laughs> well, when you say you get direct messages, like what's, what's that like? Uh, uh, it's weird. So after this report that I wrote, I used fake personas and I got really close with the gang, the lockpick gang. So afterwards they figure out who I was, obviously my name was on the report. So they sent me messages and they were, they were not upset. Actually, they were like, Hey, you know, you're the, the you're the only security researcher that's managed to get close to us. We respect the work. So they haven't threatened me. And, uh, they told me some weird things. They told me if there's ever a movie about this, that they, they think that I said I was a handsome man and that they should have either Bruce Willis <laughs> or Chuck Norris play me in a movie. It was such a, the whole thing is, it sounds, it, it sounds crazy. The whole thing is yeah. so, so strange. It's such an odd situation. So after that, I just was like, okay, I'd rather that they're at least friendly, even though it's weird, as opposed to angry and threatening me. I don't even, what, I don't even know how you would categorize that relationship. It's, it's so strange. It's never what I expected, but I'm so glad that they're not, you know, I don't have threats against me and things like that. Okay. Um, and while I was here, I released, so I write thing called the ransomware diaries. And okay. so it's here. I just released the second volume of it about one of the uh, hackers that works for Lockbit. And the guy gave me like his whole life story. So I told his story, like how he was a regular person, you know, grew up, had these events that happened, decided to go into crime and how he got to where he is today. And uh, I did a good job on it, apparently, because he got uh, he got banned from the forums. And they said that him giving that story, I did such a good job of the research that I exposed a bunch of stuff and that they felt that he was like a threat to their community. And they banned him, closed all of his accounts. Wow. Oh, my God. So how, how can I find uh, Ransomware Diaries? Like, how can I purchase that yeah. if I was interested? Yeah, well, it's all free. That's a great oh. thing. All the work I do okay. is, is, is public. We give it away for free. Okay. There's not even a paywall. So, okay. but yeah, it's on our website. You just go to our website. You can look for it. It's under like white papers or things like that. Or okay. if you just Google, you know, uh, ransomware diaries, it, it'll come up. Okay. You know. So what are you really passionate about right now and, you know, within the industry? Yeah. So obviously I've been spending the past three years, like I used to only do nation state and I feel like now all I do is ransomware. So really upcoming technologies, I feel like we kind of get our butts kicked in ransomware. Uh, so I'm really interested in seeing upcoming technologies and how things are going to change because we really need to change our approach to it. And I think the industry is finally starting to catch on to that. And, and I just, I think that uh, new technologies and new approaches, even new framework and models, even involving analysts and research, I think are important. So as I've been here, I've been kind of 
it's hard because a lot of the, you know, you have a lot of, of the, the big buzzwords and things when you talk to people at, at events like this. But underneath that, it's, it's interesting to try and feel out who's actually trying to approach this in a different way, whether it's, you know, trying to use, and I'm going to kill for saying this, trying to use like AI for, for beneficial purposes to help combat ransomware, or whether it's coming up with a different way for, uh, instead of using indictments that will never be able to, to actually issue an arrest, instead of using that to try and fight ransomware, trying to deny with law enforcement, doing denial of service attacks or using propaganda on forums to make hackers not want to work with them or to think that they're working with the government, you know, changing our tactics. So yeah. I've been a big voice of that uh, when I go do talks and things. So I've been here going like to the FBI booth, the NSA booth, CISA's booth, as well as the vendors, but just trying to see like from vendors, like what the technologies are changing and from like the government aspects, talking to them, seeing if people are starting to get it or not. So I've read a few reports that say, you know, things like, you know, ransomware still is a, it's a big threat, obviously, but it's like, it's decreasing. Mm-hmm. Would you say that's accurate? I would say that is not accurate. Here's the problem. The way that we measure ransomware attacks is not accurate because we only see when people don't pay and they post it to websites. On top of that, sort of the metrics behind it, the way organizations do it is different. So it's it's, it's hard to say. What, what I would say has happened is some of the bigger players are we're having results with and, and they're not being as successful. But there are other ransomware groups that may not be like mainstream news that are that are out there. I, there's still a high volume of attacks. Uh, I don't think that it's it's actually dialing down. I just think it's the way it's reported makes it an inaccuracy. And right now it appears that way. But from actually like seeing in the back end what they're doing and bad guys and how much money they're making and the conversations they're having, I'm not seeing anybody talking about how, hey, our, our revenues is dropping. We need to change things up. So okay. that's why I say that. Why do you think uh, we're seeing things saying like it's decreasing just because we, uh, the measuring is just... Well, I think a lot of yeah. companies are paying. Oh, okay. They're hit- if you notice, a lot of the headlines now are schools. Okay, so a lot of schools and organizations, not saying that all the schools are paying, but what, what I'm getting at is there are many organizations out there that will that will just pay. They don't want the media. They don't want people's data out there, so they just pay the ransom. And some of the, non, the non-standard groups that we always hear about in the news, they're not asking for millions. They're asking for hundreds of thousands. And okay. it's just easier for organizations to pay that, and we don't hear about it. I hope that, that I'm wrong, but I, okay. I don't think that that's the actual case. I don't think it's actually gone down. I gotcha. So kind of conversely to that, what's something that's concerning you right now in the industry? Yeah, the big thing that's concerning me is uh, we really seem to have a problem where schools are really being targeted right now. And, you know, all this stuff where it's, you know, the, the, I think it was Kevin Collier, the NBC reporter, I read a tweet today and he was talking about, he went through the data of, of one of the latest breaches and there were like, you know, sexual offenses against kids and like their statements about what happened with events their names it's not so it's not just like their social security numbers it's it's this personal information about them these are children it's horrible enough that that happened to them now you're putting it out there publicly like for everybody to see it's terrible so forget the ransom the money part i just look at it from the aspect of these how it's going to affect these kids lives for the rest of their life that's going to affect them like that's so much more of an impact than um someone having to pay a, a dollar amount to get their data back and yeah. so so those type of things the stuff hospitals there was um even a plastic surgery uh organization that got compromised where they were leaking the before and after pictures of private inpatient files, you know, publicly, like things like that, that actually affect a human being. That's the stuff that really concerns me. Oh my gosh, that's, that's intense. Yeah. So 
can you talk just a little bit about what a, like what a day in your life looks like <laughs> as a threat researcher? Yeah, well, I go through different phases, but the most uh, in my work, but the most interesting phase is the research phase, and a lot of times with that, it's getting up at three in the morning to be in a, a time zone that'll look like I'm I'm coming from somewhere in in you know Eastern Europe on the Russian side of the world. You know, I'm posting things and developing fake personas. So I'll spend I'll get up and I'll spend like the first like six hours of my day doing that. And during those times, I actually have almost no meetings because it's so time consuming. And I'll spend the afternoon then going through collection and trying to look, look at the new data and new victims that have come yeah. in, find any trends. And then I'll spend the last few hours of my day on the dark web forums looking at what other people have posted, what criminals were talking about, conversations. And then finally, what's been going on with Twitter and researchers and everything. Yeah. Once I finish that, that'll go on for a couple months. And once I get through all that and I've collected all my data and I have a story, then I write it. And I write... I write so much that we have to do audio, like audio recordings of my reports because they're so lengthy, but they're made for true analysts. So people that are really tracking these groups get into it. But I start my writing phase and that's just, you know, writing all day long for weeks. Oh gosh, uh, there's an audio component. I'm going to listen to that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Ransomware Diaries has an audio component because yeah, I write right. a, a lot. So it's just easier for people that are not like hardcore analysts. They, I tell really interesting stories yes. and I make them not they're not in the weeds geeky. Like I'm all about the story. Like the latest one I did is almost all human intelligence, yeah. you know, um, and it's this guy's story. So I try to tell a really interesting story. So I think that that's why it's gotten traction with people outside of just hardcore analysts, though that is who I try to write to as analysts, but I want them to tell an interesting story at the end of the day. That's more important to me. What do you think is the most interesting relationship that you built with a bad actor? Definitely with the, the leader behind Lockbit is my most interesting. It's funny. I did a, ch a test with, uh, what is it, chat G GPT? Is that yeah. the acronym? Yeah. Uh, and I asked it, I loaded all these reports and I asked it where Lockbit's from. And it said it, they're from the United States. And it made me laugh. And I know why it said that. It said that because of all the victim data. The victims are mostly in the United States. So it sees that correlation. So then I went, is this a test? I went and I asked the guy, the leader of Lockbit. I said, hey. Where are you? Where are you at? Where are you from? Uh, where do you live these days? And he's like, I'm in New York. He's like, I got a couple of restaurants. I'm a partial owner, and and it made me laugh because they both said the same answer, and they were both they're both not true, but it was odd. It was funny, but I think that relationship, as strange as that sounds, where Lock the you know the leader behind Lock after getting to know him with fake personas for so long, and now that he's talking to me, he's using my face to talk to other threat actors out there and have conversations and arguments and drama that the relationship I have with them I think I, I want to do a, a talk on that and put together like like Lockbit and me in this weird relationship dynamic because it's not something that's probably going to ever happen in my career again and I don't think it's something that happens very often I think it would be a lot of interest to people so Absolutely. not to talk about myself but that is I think a really interesting thing um, you know well, this that is I think all about you share. right now like, yeah. <laughs> like this is the right, point right 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 <laughs> well very cool I, yeah, I would definitely be interested in that. Uh, maybe just to pivot a little bit to talk about RSA. Yeah. Um, so this is not your first RSA. It is not. How how many would you say you've been to? Uh, I've been to five now. Um, okay. I, I've spoken twice at RSA. Not this year. Thank goodness, because my it's been a crazy week. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to throw the pressure of public speaking on top of that. But yeah, uh, I, I enjoy coming here. But my favorite thing is coming down to the expo area. Just yeah. because, one, the people watching is, is always phenomenal. But two, just seeing companies that I've never heard of before that are new and going and seeing what they do. And sometimes it's really interesting. And other times it's like, I bet I'm not going to see them next year. And I don't mean that negatively. It's just 
that's, you know, costs a lot of money to have a booth here. So yeah. I always like to see, though, upcoming companies and how they're putting their spin on technology and whether they're really buzzwords or really that whether they really have something or what it might be. And just talking to people. Um, I also like there's so many people in the industry that have known for a long time. And this is the only time that I see them. So I like to go to the booths and say hello and see familiar faces and things like that. That's awesome. So are you, is today your last day or are you leaving tomorrow? Today, uh, yeah, I am leaving tomorrow, but really early. So I would okay. call today my last day. So, okay. so how, how are you going to spend the rest of your time? Uh, well, I have a couple media interviews this afternoon. Um, and then this evening we have a, a dinner that I'm, we're going to go to meet me and my boss and some other folks. Okay. Um, but we came out here, I, I wrote part of a book with a bunch of other really great researchers that, that Splunk published and they released while we were here. Okay. Um, so I've been here doing a lot of the, the, the sort of promotion for that as well. What's that called? Uh, it is called Blue Nomicon. Okay. Is the name of the book. I, I didn't name it, but it has uh, researchers from throughout the community, and it's kind of like war stories. Um, and it's really cool because if you think about it, you know, we all would, over the years, we would get together at events like this. We would all talk about the cool stories we've had and stuff, but then you leave and they go away and you have all this new generation of security analysts coming up. And so the idea was, and it wasn't my idea, but the idea was a good idea. The idea was let's capture some of this stuff. Let's get it documented. So, you know, let's share these stories and let people see how we got here and, you know, the mistakes or the things that we did right or whatever it might be. And, you know, they're giving it away, away for free. They're not selling it. So, you know, I think it's a really cool idea and it gets a lot of the interesting stories out there to read. That's awesome. We're definitely going to share that in our show notes. Awesome. Well, John, thank you so much for talking to me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. I hope you have a great rest of your time at RSA. Thank you so much and thanks for having me. We'll speak next with Corey Thune, who is the founder and CEO of Gravwell, to talk about his time at RSA, his thoughts on AI and what could potentially be concerning, the talent shortage within cybersecurity and how we could remedy that, and what he's excited about for Gravwell this year. All right, we are at day two of RSA with the podcast Breaking Badness with Domain Tools. I've got Corey Thune with me. Corey, thanks for being here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, can you give a brief rundown of what you do and what your company does? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm one of the founders at Gravwell. We do enterprise log management. Uh, threat hunting, that type of thing. Okay, awesome. What's your perceptions of the show now that we've had a day? <laughs> it's, it's been pretty fun. It's excited to see how many folks there are around. The number keeps, it might be one of those things where it's like the telephone game. Because, yeah. you know, first the conference says there's 35,000 people here. You hear that, you repeat 40,000 to sound more impressive, oh. 45,000. So I don't know what the number's at anymore, but last was, yeah, that's 45,000 or something people, which is kind of crazy. Do you think we'll ever find out what the actual number is? No. No? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. That's fine. Maybe. Yeah, afterwards, they'll give you the prospectus about what happened and everything. But Yeah. yeah. Is, is this your first RSA? Probably not? No. No, this isn't the first one. Although we are pretty new as a company. So this is okay. uh, but this is the first one where we've had a booth like this, okay. uh, I guess. So that's been interesting because previously we were in kind of the startup area. Okay. When you say uh, new, what is new? How new? The company was founded in 2017. Oh. Uh, kind of really brought the product to market 2019 because it's yeah. one of those it's infrastructure cybersecurity software so okay. heavy R&D supercomputing elements to it so it's kind of a lot of okay. work to uh, go up front but yeah now we're out here and that's been fun awesome so so what'd you do yesterday pretty I'm- much stood on my feet for way too many hours <laughs> uh, talked to strangers uh, yell talking right and so afterwards I'm not a smoker but I imagine that this is what it feels like after you've had too many cigars or something. Yeah. Uh, but otherwise, no, it's been good. Lots of good conversations yeah. with folks. Uh, I think the you know the best part about shows like this are you get to talk to people in the industry, just kind of shoot the a little bit, yeah. and see what's been going on and new topics du jour yeah. for things. But what topics are you really excited about? Well, 
I mean, I'm obviously excited about the things that we do. Obviously. Uh, since that's what I talk about most of the time, which is interesting, even though it's a bit of a boring space. But in some ways, you know, we're, cyber, we're cybersecurity, right? Boring yeah. should be good sometimes. Yeah. The, the FUD and the adversary focus and all that is exciting to talk about and to yeah. stand up big action figures about things and whatever and talk about the bad guys. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's, uh, you know, people in the day-to-day IT operations, security, they're just trying to, you know, make sure their systems are, are doing good. So one of my favorite cybersecurity quotes is actually from uh, Dr. Eugene Spafford, goes by Spaff at Purdue. Okay. He says, a system is good if it does what it's supposed to do okay. and secure if it doesn't do anything else. Okay. Which is, I think, a great way to think about the systems because all of our mission is really, you know, at all the organizations that we work at, what are you trying to do? You're trying to succeed in the mission of the organization. Yeah. And cybersecurity is a component of it, but, uh, you know, oftentimes security can kind of get in the way. So fostering that relationship and making sure that, yeah, the systems are operating the way they're supposed to be, but that bad guys aren't using the systems for unintended consequences. Absolutely. And so, okay. yeah. What's something that's concerning you in the industry right now? That's a good question. Concerning me in the industry, anytime you've got a new puncture through like the LLM language models, AI stuff is really interesting. Um, I think one of the concerning things is going too fast with it, too too far forward, not in the sense of, you know, it's going to be Terminator and, and bad things are going to happen, but in the sense of uh, it's very difficult to validate. Okay. So uh, there's a saying in the industry, right, trust but verify. Okay. And that's one of the biggest challenges with AI, because AI will confidently tell you what things are happening, right? We all would love to say, hey, Jeeves or Jarvis, right, whatever, you're going to say, you're going to name your AI robot, yeah. right? Hey, Jarvis, uh, you know, who hacked my systems in the last week? Or what's been the most significant, right? And the AI will lie to you, because that's, uh, that's what happens sometimes, and it'll never be 100% perfect. And I'm worried that, uh, or my, my concern, I guess, right, uh, is that we will trust it too much. Okay. Because it's very attractive, yeah. Uh, right, because we have a talent shortage. It's very difficult, um, which is part of the reason why we founded this company, right? Because yeah. our, our whole thing is ground truth. What yeah. were in the logs? What was on the wire? What is the truth of what happened? Yeah. Um, because we want to enable folks to be able to answer those questions. Absolutely. And it's really attractive to have you know Jarvis tell you one thing, but yeah, unfortunately, Jarvis is not a human yeah. and doesn't really understand context. And so it can be dangerous, but it's going to be really exciting to see in the next couple of years what we are able to use AI to do, yeah. you know, and find that mesh of you know human and machine working together to to do really good things and push the industry forward. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Maybe second to last question, just sure. kind of pivoting from your answer is as a CEO uh, talking about a talent shortage. You know, yeah, yeah. what can we do to to solve the talent shortage? Like, uh, yeah, maybe that's, that's a, too big of a question. No, that's a great but, question. And it's an interesting thing. Uh, we could pontificate about this for probably hours and hours. But for me, again, because we're about ground truth, one of the uh, other concerns, I suppose, is when it comes to education in the space, like Apple has done a really good job, not for cybersecurity, but for, for the sense of you don't have to know how computers work anymore. Yeah. Right? Like I, I grew up with an iPad or something, and so it, everything just works. But underneath the hood, we're still using protocols from the 60s, 70s, 80s, and those really aren't going away anytime, so how do computers work? What happens when you tell a website, your browser, to go to www.google.com? What is going on? How do computers talk to each other? Those fundamentals are, I think, something that we've maybe lost sight of a little bit when it comes to educating on cybersecurity, because before you, uh, so if you really want to be an amazing cybersecurity professional and really take your career and have no limits on where you can go, if you have a really strong fundamental baseline yeah. of how computers work, 
uh, from a technical perspective, right? There's a lot of policy jobs and things like that where yeah. this is less, this isn't good advice for those positions, but, uh, you know, having a really strong fundamental understanding, it, it just kicks the doors open. You can do anything you want. And so that's part of the challenge um, as we're going forward, but I think there's good opportunities. Okay, fantastic. And the last question for you, what are you most excited about this year with your organization? Oh, this year? Yeah, we're, so we're growing uh, as a company, hiring more folks. Uh, it's been really exciting to get out there and uh, see people putting our stuff to work, uh, seeing the community. Um, one of our, our folks just posted a link in our internal messaging chat this morning about this write-up we found for some uh, unknown person on the internet did some really interesting work with our stuff, uh, analyzing uh, and doing some like machine learning for uh, classifying data. And it was just this, like, uh, I don't know who this person is. They're not a customer. They just took our community edition, and we're doing these really cool things with it. And so, yeah, as we're getting more well-known in the space, because that's, that's always a challenge for startups, right? Mm -hmm. How does anybody even know you exist? So it's really cool to see, you know, this thing that we've built collectively as a team yeah. and work together, put our blood, sweat, and tears into, right, out there making a difference for folks. That's what's really exciting. And, and getting some household names uh, as customers is also a big deal when I can go home to my kids or whatever and be like, oh yeah, that app you've got on your phone, that's one of our customers now. Uh, or, or like state governments and saying, yes, one of our customers is this entire state. It's really fun. So uh, those aspects, right, that's all kind of the natural progression of, of uh, having a startup that's, that's delivering quality product for people and you know, helping them solve problems. So. That's wonderful. Well, I want to give you time back in your day. I know you're very busy. we got a full day ahead of us. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. It's, yeah. it's a fun event. hope you find uh, some more folks to talk to because yeah. there's uh, tons of people around. Uh, absolutely. Growing more every time you talk to somebody else about yeah. how many there are. So. It's nice to meet you, too. Yeah, you, too. Yeah, Thanks. Th thank you. Finally, we're joined by Renee Burton, who is the Senior Director of Threat Intelligence at Infoblox. We'll talk about her role at Infoblox. Hint, it involves a lot of DNS, what keeps her up at night, and how we can better collaborate with each other within the industry. I am with Renee Burton from Infoblox right now. Renee, how are you? Good, thank you so much. So for the folks back home, what do you, what do, you do with Infoblox? So I run our threat intelligence program okay. for our DNS security products. Perfect. And what's a typical day in your life? I play with data. <laughs> Very so, cool. Yep, I have a global team uh, and we are looking at domains and IPs every day and spend a lot of time doing big data analysis, statistical analysis, and then you know, traditional kinds of threat hunting. So it's a combination of uh, automation, AI, and human loop. Very cool. So what's something you're really passionate about right now in the cybersecurity world? I am a DNS expert, so pretty much everything you know that I love is somehow in DNS. We've been tracking a bunch of persistent threat actors that are really visible in the DNS world. And then when you look at them from the lens of a security vendor who's, say, in the malware space or in the attribution space, because you're looking at a specific instance of that actor, you really only see a portion. Right? So what we find over time is we'll see reporting from really great malware shops or, or attribution type shops. And we'll say like, oh, we actually were not only blocking that threat months ago, but we were blocking the entire actor because yeah. we can see that whole fabric of how they're operating in DNS. Okay. So that's what I'm super passionate about. We always say too at Domain Tools, it's always DNS. How it is. Yeah. yeah. You, feel, you find that to be true as well. Yeah, exactly. So I think from the perspective of, of both of our companies together, it's about everything from the registration to the DNS, right? It's in that domain space. And we know that 
92% of all attacks, according to the NSA, go through DNS. So that fact that you can bring the domain intelligence and the DNS and that fabric, seeing it in different perspectives, you're allowed to lock a, a compromise before it happens. So when by the time we're seeing an open source reporting, it's already stopped, right? It's already happened and we would have been able to block it earlier. That's great. Awesome. So what's something that keeps you up at night? Something that keeps me up at night. Um, right now, what's keeping me up is the fact that we found this toolkit called Decoy Dog. Okay. And we call Decoy Dog, which is a remote access Trojan that has a very unique DNS signature to it. So uh, we were able to find that there's only 18 domains in the 370 million domains. And Domain Tools did help us with that part of the calculation that had this specific signature. So the thing that's keeping me up at night that's interesting is no one knows what this is. No one. I'm asking, you know, we've talked to all of the major vendors in malware. We've talked to a lot of organizations outside of the vendors. And the idea that you have a very sophisticated toolkit that's undetected as a group for an entire year that we see via DNS, so we know it's happening, but no one knows what it is, that's like kind of crazy, right? right? So that's what keeps me up at night. It's like, how do we figure out these things faster? And how do we as a community who have different expertise work more closely together right. so that they specialize in their area, attribution, they specialize in malware, they specialize in NetFlow, whatever their areas they specialize in. We specialize in DNS, right? Yeah. And, and we all work together to figure out the problem. So if no one knows what that is right now, then is it just kind of like a matter of time before it becomes something really insidious or what? Well, it's been active for over a year now. Okay. So it's like wherever in the world it is and yeah. what's compromised and what's talking back to it, that operation will, I, I believe, you know, from our perspective, we've disrupted it because our customers are protected now from that and we've announced it worldwide okay. so people could be protected from it. On the other hand, if they're not using DNS protection, then it's going to continue Okay. Uh, continue going on. Gotcha. And hopefully we'll figure it out. But it also gives all of us like a better tool set. Yeah. Because it's a tool set against toolkits. Yes. Because we can all like, we learn from this experience and go like, okay, ah, I have another idea. Yeah. You know, now I can like move my, my own logic faster and find things even better. Yeah. So when we talk about like being able to like work together to figure a problem like this out is that do you think this is just kind of like more of like a resourcing problem where we don't have enough resources to figure it out right now or yeah so I, I believe that for the most part industry members are specialists in their area and that's what they should do like for me I'm in the DNS lane I'm not trying to be in any other lane okay I'm not trying to do anyone else's job and I want us to do our job super duper well in my experience working in government for 22 years <laughs> if you try to expand yourself beyond your natural boundaries in terms of what you can do well you're going to fail at doing it so like for instance if i say somebody else wants to work in dns intel and they're going to set up like a, a dns blocking system and they're not experts in dns yeah not experts in domain registration they're not experts in, the, in our areas they're going to mess up enterprise networks because yeah. they're going to have a lack of performance. And the same thing, right? If I'm working, trying to play in a like sophisticated malware space, I'm not an expert reverse engineer. Yeah. I'm not going to do a great job at that. Yeah. So everyone 
contribute with each other, collaborate with each other, be transparent with each other. Yeah. And we will be a lot stronger as a community. Do you think this is the, the best place that we can come together and collaborate on these problems, like RSA or B-Sides or something like that? Yeah, I mean, I think every venue has a different component, right? B-Sides is like a, a little bit more smaller and intimate. This is kind of a crazy madhouse, but it is like where people can come and say, I've had people come up and say like, I have an idea about decoy dog. I have some insights into decoy dog. And so Perfect. we are using those those aspects as well. And then we can take that into a different channel yeah. uh, offline where we can all privately That's you know, great. collaborate and help people. Oh my people. gosh, I love that. Yeah. So just to pivot a little bit, this is not your first RSA. It is actually my first no RSA. No way! You yeah. are the first person. Like, the first person other than myself that this is their first RSA. That's crazy. Yeah. Oh my God. Well, how do you love it? Um, <laughs> I'm not a big event kind of person, yeah. so I'm finding it very interesting. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> overwhelming. Um, it's like a lot of lights and a lot of noise, but yeah. I'm really enjoying the communication and collaboration with yeah. people, uh, both inside and outside of the floor. And I'm really proud to see all the different industry members. I, mean, yeah. I think that's really cool. And to see the governments that are out here yeah. and, and participating. So that part's all really great. What, have you gone to any sessions that you felt were very interesting or? I am rock solid on the booth. I gotcha. So that's basically what I've done and I've looked at the booths like slightly around me. Okay, <laughs> so I know you've been at the booth, but what's been your favorite thing now that we've had a little bit of time to marinate here for a while? For me, the main, the I don't know, excitement, excitement part has really been that collab collaboration of having people. I did technical talks at the booth instead of like product talks. And what I found is with this RSA audience, I have potential customers, but I also have students. Yeah. And the audience was pretty filled with a mix. And then you had this really interesting conversation afterwards where, again, like we as an industry can help a younger group of people have insight into areas, technical areas, that they're not gonna learn in their classroom. And they're probably honestly, even if they're doing like a cybersecurity degree, the chance that they're going to learn about DNS intelligence specifically is very low, right? Really? It's just not an area. That, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's not an area that the industry focuses on. Um, that seems like so, a detriment. Yeah, I think for the most part, people traditionally think about reverse engineering for the most part, or, you know, they want to find a malware signature and then kind of go backwards. And, and the way you get to domain data is you start from something that happened and then you move backwards. Yeah. And the way that we're coming at it instead is like, let's start before it happens. That'd be and, great. Yeah. and I honestly have met so many people uh, here who said to me afterwards, I'm like, why are we not protecting our DNS is before the compromise? And they'll say, I honestly never thought about it. It like, never occurred to me that I could block all these things before. Wow. Oh my goodness. It's a really interesting space. It is yeah. interesting. Oh my gosh. And it's cool to see the students like, yeah. uh, I was talking to them about lookalike domains. Yeah. So those domains like look like other things and yeah. they've been really in the news recently because they're getting past multi-factor authentication, the bulletproof vest yes. of protecting companies that are getting, you know, get passed and passed. And these students, they've never seen this kind of thing before in like a bold way right this is a real threat it's ongoing it's improving it's maturing and these are the kinds of things that we had to be able to learn to detect 
in an automated fashion. Right. So that we don't have the idea that humans should be responsible for protecting corporate networks. Right. Uh, because we were like, what, what's the problem? Oh, we need more security training. How about we not have the humans do all the work? How about we have the machines do the work, right? That, that makes sense to me. Yeah, exactly. Well, Renee, thank you so much for your time today. Um, if somebody wanted to connect with you, you know, if they're listening to this and like, I have information about Decoy Dog, what would be the best way to get in contact with you? So I am on LinkedIn, easy to find on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm on on Mastodon as well as okay. Bitcode uh, okay. on the InfoSec Exchange um, is another way. And I'm not on Twitter. And then, of course, they can just reach out to InfoBox. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. I know you're busy. I want to get you back to your booth. (laughs) Yeah, thank you for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. We hope you enjoyed this episode of our mini-series. Stay tuned because next week you'll hear from more heavy hitters in the industry, including Katie Nichols, Ben April, Leslie Carhart, and Jeff Stout. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time on Breaking Badness. That's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter, at DomainTools. All of the articles and IOCs mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at DomainTools.com slash resources slash podcasts. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. We'll see you next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click.